I would just love to see Canada embrace its strength. And to me, its strength is its diversity and its difference. Unfortunately, we often focus on that difference and focus on what is different instead of what we have in common and then leveraging that difference and that diversity to come up with incredible solutions. Welcome to Speaking of Business, conversations with Canadian innovators, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. I'm Goldie Hyder, President and CEO of the Business Council of Canada. We are launching Season 6 of the podcast. We've got a lot of great guests lined up for this new season, and I'm excited to get started. Today, we're in Calgary and are kicking things off with Deanna Zumwalt, President and CEO of Coral Holdings. The Calgary-based company is about to celebrate its 125th anniversary. It's come a long way since its founding in 1898, when the company helped construct the Canadian Pacific Railway. Like any other great organization with staying power, Coral has evolved and grown over the years. As president and CEO, Deanna is focused on ensuring that the company stays flexible so it can adapt to changing markets and new opportunities. What does that look like in practice, though? How do leaders foster change in an organization? And what lessons has Deanna learned from her own career evolution? Why don't we find out? Welcome to the podcast, Deanna. Thanks, Goldie. Looking forward to our conversation. As am I. Look, I'm home. Calgary, as you know, is my hometown. So it's always uh, good to be back. There seems to be an energy, if I can say, uh, in the streets here. How are you feeling about things where we are in, what is it, the uh, end of October here? Yeah, no, I'm excited. I think you're right. There is an excitement in the streets in Calgary. And it's not all energy driven for a change. Um, there's a ton of excitement around the tech ecosystem. And there's just tons of excitement in terms of what's possible for the city and the province. I'm going to explore that further, but before I go there, you've set it up very nicely, actually. Let me just start with, what's your story? Who are you? Tell our listeners about your journey. My journey is a trained chartered accountant that really built a career that probably wasn't planned. It was probably more built on a philosophy of, I can always go back to what I know, but you may never get an opportunity to do something new. And so the result of that is, you know, kind of where I am here today always at one point in time thought I would be in accounting. Then I thought, oh, I'd always be in energy. And now I'm here working for an incredible family enterprise, kind of an iconic family, helping them continue both to build, you know, out a legacy, a business-like legacy that supports business, but also a business legacy that supports people in the community. So I consider myself incredibly blessed and I certainly would not be here without really that philosophy of just give it a go. Give it a go. One of the common themes in this podcast has been a sense of perseverance and a sense of overcoming adversity and, frankly, learning from failures. Your journey been littered with any of those things? Yeah, it has. Probably resilience more than adversity. I do consider myself pretty blessed to have you know, a fantastic career, a supportive community and environment, but I would say certainly one of resilience. I would say you know, one where you had to learn to you know, respectfully speak your mind which helped to build trust. And I think, you know, respectfully speak your mind and at times speak truth to power and your true story or reality. So certainly that's been a focus probably throughout my career, probably from the first year I started as an articling student to challenging the partners about the work hours and how we were treated. And I can remember people saying, oh my gosh, how can you possibly sit down with the partners and say that? But learning that they wanted to hear that in many cases, 
people aren't willing to kind of speak their true reality. So I think, yeah, one of resilience, but one of resilience where it's, you know, really speak your story and share it. Don't assume that people understand your story. And I think that's, uh, you know, created a great voice for me and potentially a voice for others as well. Now, we're all shaped by our experiences and our history. You've talked about the professional side, but you've got a pretty interesting personal story as well. Take us through your family. Yeah. So I've got a very diverse family, starting certainly with my husband, who's been my greatest supporter and a stay-at-home dad, which is incredibly unusual. And certainly that came with challenges for him at times. And then when I look at my children, I have four children. You know, my oldest is a birth child and my youngest three are adopted from Haiti. So certainly the diversity in our family has certainly enriched my perspective and my life, both personally, but also professionally, for sure. Now, your eldest, we were chatting before we sat down, is uh, serving in the Canadian military in the Navy. Thank him for his service. Tell us a little bit about where he is and what he's doing now. Yeah, so Mac is currently serving in the South Pacific on the HMCS Winnipeg. So I would say he's right in the heat of um, not conflict, but certainly tension and certainly incredibly proud of him. And for me, as a community and business leader, has really shone a light and created understanding of, you know, what our, our young people who choose to serve go through in the military and truly just the importance of the contribution that they're making. Well, our listeners wouldn't be surprised to know that I'm staring at a very proud mom here for good reason. Uh, so that's the story of the elders. Now, you mentioned the three that are adopted from Haiti. What's it like for them? What's it like for you? And all this emphasis that's gone on now around diversity and inclusivity, and we went through the Black Lives Matter movement as well. What are you learning from them? So much. I think the biggest thing I've learned, you know, going through life with the three of them is that bias is real. Bias is real because my view is we don't take the time to understand other people's lived reality. We're always looking at other people through our own lived reality. So I've really learned taking the opportunity to understand and hear people's stories becomes super important. And when you hear their stories, then taking the opportunity to explore your own bias. The reality is we're all human beings and human beings all have biases. But when you hear that lived reality or story, if you can really dig in and explore your own biases, it becomes super important. Uh, you know, I say bias is real because I've watched my three children just desperately try to fit in, desperately try not to stand out and not to be different to the point where they'll accept really uncomfortable situations Such and as? they'll laugh, um, you know, a derogatory comment they'll accept from either a kid or even teachers, right? You know, a class exercise that causes them to stand out and they'll laugh and they'll say to me, mom, it's okay. And I'll say to them, no, it's not okay. You have to share your story and embrace your uniqueness and share that because you have to create the opportunity for those individuals to learn. I've watched them play down in sports, a couple of brilliant athletes, and they play down in sports so they don't stand out so amongst in. the other white children, right? And that was eye-opening for me, right? Yep. Um, certainly, if I didn't have children of color, I wouldn't have seen that. I wouldn't have experienced that. And I've lived that with them. Um, so for me, it's created a real drive or push as, I would say, a business leader and a community leader to really provide that safe space for people to bring what I call their authentic self to work, to not feel like they've got to fit in, to not worry about being judged being willing to take a risk and share, you know, when they're uncomfortable and why they're uncomfortable, right? Um, and there's often really good reasons behind that. And I think, you know, we can support them at work and create a better environment. 
great, simple example. Um, you know, we had a young Muslim fellow working with us and um, we would do these raffles for a donation or a fundraiser. And he's not comfortable with gambling because for him, it's not part of his culture. So no clue, right? Um, so how could we create opportunities that made him comfortable as well? So for me, it's just really shining the spotlight on the fact there is bias. Diversity and inclusion matters so much. And it just makes us richer as a business and a community if we um, acknowledge it and really foster inclusion. You know, I'm a huge This Is Us fan, the whole family. Kids watch this thing at all? Did it resonate with them if they did? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're amazing kids that embrace so many aspects of what I'll call the traditional North American culture mm-hmm. and then the non-traditional North American culture. And, you know, for me personally, it's made my life richer. I mean, I'm exploring things that I never would have explored if they didn't kind of allow us to explore those things. Well, look, knowing you, genetic or not, these kids have definitely got some of your drive and determination. And that drive and determination has really helped you become successful professionally as well. So let me pivot, if I can, to the story of Coral itself. As I mentioned, it's marking its 125th anniversary. It's a parent company. It oversees a range of other companies. What kind of companies do you oversee? What do people need to know about Coral? Yeah. So I would say Coral, we really like to think of ourselves as an asset manager. So we're really managing a portfolio of owned businesses, but also investments. But I think what makes us unique as an asset manager is we're always investing with an owner's mindset. And really what I mean by that is we make long-term commitments to good businesses and good people. We don't trade in and out of assets. And, you know, over that 125-year history, that's allowed us to do many things from construction to mining to pipelines to energy to hospitality, railway maintenance, you know, so many things. But in terms of today, in terms of, you know, kind of the core businesses that uh, Coral is focused in and around, it would certainly be our railway maintenance space and our real estate space and uh, both incredibly exciting spaces to be involved in. As I mentioned, as you approach your 125th anniversary, you have really challenged your team to be bold and to be future focused. And obviously, you described an asset manager. Sometimes those asset managers have a short-term view of things versus a longer-term view. First of all, what does that mean in practice, be bold and be future focused? And secondly, where do you see the company's potential? Yeah. So be bold and future focused, from my perspective, is imperative for us. And um, I would say being bold is in some ways easy for us, in some ways hard for us. I would say it's hard for us because we have this incredible 125-year legacy (laughs) that we don't want to mess up. Like, we don't want to be the ones that mess it up. At the same time, it's easy for us, right? Because we do have a long-term perspective. Being a family enterprise for 125 years, we think across generations. We think in 25-year chunks. We don't think five years out. So encouraging people to be bold and innovative is easy because whatever we're doing today, we won't necessarily be doing in the future. So we got to figure out what that future looks like. So in terms of where I see us going, I I think we will be in different places 25 years from now, but I think they will be adjacent to the core businesses we're in. We're always looking for adjacencies or opportunities in and around our businesses. Um, A lot of efficiencies when you can find them, isn't there? Totally. Yeah. Whether it's pushing our geographic boundaries, or it's looking to digitize things. It's looking to support the tech ecosystem that's around our businesses. That's really where our focus is today. So really building off our core and our domain expertise rather than a big step out. Now you mentioned geographic boundaries. What do you mean by that? Are you only in Canada or in the US as well? Where else are you? We're around the globe. Large presence clearly in the United States and Canada, Mexico, also Brazil, Australia, 
Europe and a growing presence in India, the majority of that presence would be in our railway maintenance business. So we truly do have global reach today. And what are you seeing out there in terms of the global environment for capital, global environment for talent? Uh, How hard is it to do business? And in your sense, where's Canada in all of this? How are we competing? Yeah, I would say like, yeah, global business is a challenge. Um, Talent is a challenge everywhere. I would say capital, we don't seem to have challenge tracking capital into our traditional businesses. That's not a real challenge, but I would say people and talent and forcing ourselves with a 125-year legacy, um, you can imagine we're pretty traditional. So forcing ourselves to pivot and maybe be a little less traditional because to attract the workforce of the future, we might have to show up a little bit differently. So really challenging ourselves to do that. The awesome part is that we have, you know, a new generation of family members involved um, and around the board table. So they really can push us, some of us that are a little more traditional, to think and be a little bit different. You talked earlier about, um, I'm using this word, but to instill a culture of creativity and risk-taking in your team. Obviously, we're coming out of COVID. (laughs) We're still finding our way through whatever this return to work phenomena is taking place. How do you do that? I mean, how is it that leaders, whether they're running large corporations or entities like yours or small, how do you build culture? Because that's what I hear the most from from people is, boy, I want people back, not because I don't trust anybody. I want them back because I have a culture that is award-winning and we can work around. How are you doing that? Uh, Yeah. So how we're doing it, I mean, I would say trust is the key to any culture in my mind. And trust is the the key to operating day to day and trust is the key to figuring out the future. Um, and the reason I say trust is the key is because any one single leader does not have all the answers. They really do need to leverage their team and their talent and those around them. So it's imperative. I think it was a challenge during COVID for sure because we got disconnected. At the same time, I would say COVID taught me we can work in many different ways. And there isn't just one way of working. So I would say what we really learned from COVID and applied in our culture is to introduce a little more flexibility. And with that flexibility, accountability, but also the trust that we're going to give you some flexibility, certainly some boundaries, but we're going to trust you to use your time appropriately. And it's amazing how much engagement that's created within the team. And it's amazing how that spilled over into the situation where we're back in the office and working with one another and collaborating, people are so much more open and offering more ideas. So I would say through COVID, trust for sure is important. Embracing flexibility, but bundling that with accountability, finding time to be together though. So it's a little bit of both. You're hearing people who are saying like, work from home, it's the way to go. Return to the office, the only way to go. I would say my philosophy, it's it's a combination of the two. You wrote recently on LinkedIn on this subject. I'm going to quote you here. And it says, and I quote, uh, be sure to take care of those around you, nurture your talent, give them great opportunities, and most of all, be there when they need you, end quote. How do you do that? Yeah, so take the time as a leader to build a relationship. And I would say a relationship beyond just the business. Sometimes in their career, they're going to need you there and they're going to need you, I find, sometimes to gently push them. It's amazing how many incredible young people are are capable and bright, but they need that gentle push and somebody that believes in them. So be there to do that, but also be there when maybe things aren't going right in their personal life. And maybe something's hard. Just being there to listen and to help becomes so important. So I think really investing in the relationship is key. And then you'll get so much more out of the working relationship as well. 
Let me stick with the leadership theme. That's a big part of our podcast. We've got a lot of young listeners who are all aspiring leaders. It's often said that a crisis teaches you a lot more about your own leadership and your own. So what did you learn about yourself through COVID? And has it in fact changed the way you lead your team or is it just nuance? Yeah, I think it's probably more nuance for me. It probably reinforced, you've heard me talk about trust and just this um, mantra of trust. I think we were able to really, you know, weather the crisis fairly well because there was trust and relationship there uh, and people weren't afraid to share what they're going through, to share their thoughts on how we navigate this crisis together. So, you know, often young leaders feel it's about proving what they can do. Um, I think for young leaders, I would say it's not so much what you can do, it's what you can do with others and how you build, you know, team partnership and relationships to really, you know, move forward. And so for me, I think if anything, it reinforced the importance of that. Let me pivot to the area of innovation. So as I mentioned, I'm a Calgarian, still at heart. And how can you not be with the spirit of this place? And uh, having just spent the weekend uh, at a conference in uh, Canmore reminds you just how much you missed the majesty of the Rocky Mountains, let me type. Anyways, enough about my missing Calgary, as you can tell. But Calgary has changed. It's not the Calgary that I grew up in. and certainly not the Calgary I left back in 2000. The brand still seems to be very oil and gas centric. But you mentioned earlier innovation. Talk to me about the innovation culture here in Calgary. What is it that people need to know that they don't appreciate about what's going on here? Yeah, I would say the last couple of years, we've just seen amazing and incredible traction around, I would call the innovation and tech ecosystem. And I would say it came about because there was kind of a core or strong group of individuals that were resilient and didn't give up. And they certainly were from a non-traditional industry in this city. Um, they were not oil and gassers. But what they've been able to do through perseverance is create just a strong sense of community around the tech ecosystem that isn't just the techies anymore. We are seeing people who have been incredibly successful in the city um, with capital invest outside their traditional areas. They're now investing in young founders in areas that might be a stretch for them, Startups. right? You bet. And um, they're taking the time to mentor. And I think we're just having amazing success. I'm also, it's kind of hard to think about this, but I'm seeing the city and the province also acknowledge that this is important. It almost feels like there was an aha moment um, and they kind of got it and they've really leaned in. So I'm seeing a ton of collaboration across groups that wouldn't um, typically collaborate to really stand up this tech ecosystem. And to me, you know, the proof is in the results of what we're seeing. We're seeing young founders move to the city. We're seeing young founders pick up from the East Coast, from Toronto, from Vancouver, and they're moving their families and they're moving their teams to Calgary. And I think they're doing that because of that sense of community and there's that support. And I think that's something Calgary's always been. It's maybe something that's been focused a little too much on just one sector, but we're really seeing that expand. Uh, and I think the result is, yeah, you're going to see a city with a lot more diversity and that looks a lot different than it traditionally has, which is to me fantastic. So where does the energy sector fit into all of that? I mean, obviously the brand is, it's about energy. Talk to me a little bit about how you feel that sector is doing and, and link it, if you will, to the climate change agenda and, and the need to innovate around that. I'm a individual that grew up in the oil and gas industry. I spent, you know, the first 17 years of my career uh, in that. I've certainly seen a pivot in the last few years. I would say the industry was a little stubborn and didn't want to hear the message at one point in time. But I think um, they've really embraced what I call the end. Um, exactly. And that's we can produce energy 
and we can do it like in a good way, right? I love to see that because for the longest time when I was in the industry, it was always about, well, we got to do this, but, and I love the sense of and, and I, I think I'm just so incredibly proud of an industry that is getting creative around solutions. And I think truly, you know, beginning to lead the world in terms of, I'll say, producing energy cleanly, right? It's we not have about to believe clean the leadership energy. has to be from here. A hundred percent. And it's happening. I'm definitely seeing a new generation of leaders that are embracing coming up with solutions together. So yeah, I'm incredibly proud to call myself a Calgarian Albertan that's grown up in an energy industry that's doing things right. Oh, I think by now listeners have figured out my bias, but look, don't short Calgary, don't short Alberta is certainly something I would say. Let me pivot, if I can, to something else that's very important to you and that you're involved in. It's a You sit on a community council of a group called The 51. So you're going to have to tell me about the name in a minute here, but The 51, it's a Calgary-based organization that aims to connect women and gender-diverse investors and entrepreneurs right across the country. Why do you think an organization like this is important? Tell us a little bit about the organization to begin. So three amazing women created the 51, a venture capital uh, fund, and it's named the 51 because 51% of the population are women. So that is why- We rebrand one day. <laughs> that's right. That's what, maybe. <laughs> and uh, these three women have created just, to me, what's an amazing organization. I, you know, I'm proud to call myself an investor in the 51. I'm proud to be part of the community council. Um, and to me, it, it's part of the theme you've probably heard from me. It's the idea of supporting inclusion and equal opportunity for groups that haven't had it in the past, whether it's female founders, whether it's gender diverse founders, whether it's minority founders, the reality is in the facts bear it out. They do not have access to the same capital that more traditional founders have. And so this community's come together to really support those individuals, to shine a light on it. And what boggles my mind is they get a fraction of the capital, these groups, but their returns are always double the returns of their counterparts. So to me, it's kind of easy. I'm investing in something that's going to give me, you know, a better return. But I'm also um, helping to support a community that really is about, you know, inclusion, inclusion in capital markets and uh, helping people get access, helping those founders get access to capital that more traditional founders have always had. Well, terrific. Thank you for your leadership in that. Obviously, very important and uh, something clearly you're very passionate about. Let me conclude, if I may, with the country. You and I are very proud Canadians. We've talked about sort of the purpose behind a lot of what we're trying to do at the Business Council of Canada is about how to make Canada competitive. What's your hope for this country? What's your vision for this country? And how is that, how is that affecting kind of the advice and guidance and mentorship that you're giving your kids? Well, you're going to see a theme here. Uh, so I th would say as a mother a business executive and a community leader, I would just love to see Canada embrace its strength. And to me, its strength is its diversity and its difference. Unfortunately, we often focus on that difference and focus on what is different instead of what we have in common and then leveraging that difference and that diversity to come up with incredible solutions. So we don't listen to one another. We don't talk. We don't find the end. And I would just love to see less rhetoric, um, more listening, and I would say, I always say to my children, listen for, not against. Like, listen for what you believe in. Listen for something that's in common and then build on that. I would just love to see, you know, our political leaders, our business leaders, those in NGOs just reach out across one another and find, 
you know, the solutions that we need for the future. And those solutions are in our diversity because we have different ideas and we have different thoughts and we're going to come up with amazing solutions to propel our country forward. But if we constantly focus on difference and why we don't want to work together, we're never going to get there. So that would be my big hope. I don't have all the answers, but I know we need to work together. Well, look, that's a great place to end because it's hopeful. The message is a hopeful one. And I've always said I sleep well at night because Canadians have time and time again shown me that when you ask them the right questions, they'll give you the right answers. There's a collective wisdom in this country that overcomes and overshadows all that rhetoric, all that you know, social media, all the divisiveness. We're a smart group of people, and that includes people like you. I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us on this podcast as we kick off season six. It's a great start, and thank you for sharing. Thank you, Goldie. Deanna Zumwalt is the president and CEO of Coral Holdings. If you would like to hear more of our Speaking of Business conversations with innovators, leaders, and entrepreneurs, why not subscribe to our podcast? Search for Speaking of Business wherever you get your podcasts, or simply go to our website at thebusinesscouncil.ca. That's thebusinesscouncil.ca. Until next time, I'm Goldie Hyder. Thanks for joining us.